Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What I'd like you to do is throw your ribbon in here in Daniel chapter 1 and go over to Mark chapter 13. And we'll make a uh, introduction there, some just some introductory notes to what's happening here in the book of Daniel. When we look at prophecies, whether in the book of Revelation or Daniel, Ezekiel, some of the other books that are relatively difficult for some, it's just as putting together a puzzle, except for when you put together a puzzle, you have the box which has the picture of the puzzle that you're about to put together. When you're looking at prophecies, and specifically the book of Daniel or Revelation or the end times, what we are called to do is to live by faith and not by sight. So we're putting together a puzzle, but we don't have the box. And so it's a little more challenging, but still it can be done. It just takes a little more work. It'll take a little more effort. It takes diligence, and it takes faithfulness in your reading. So as you're putting these puzzle pieces together, this is what you're going to do is you open up the box, you dump the whole thing on the table, and then what's the first thing you do is you start to sort through these puzzle pieces. So Paul tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. The Bible is given to us in a progressive way. It's given us to in sections. And so what we would do then is, is we take these puzzle pieces, and first we're going to make ourselves familiar with some of them, that none of them make sense at first. But as you start to sort them out, don't get discouraged if you don't understand what the picture is right away. But just be studious about it. And the first thing, of course, that anybody does, at least, and I, and I hate puzzles, I think they're an absolute waste of time, but some of you like them, to, to your vanity, that's okay. But anyway, the first thing that you do with puzzles is you look for the ones on the outside. So you're looking for all these puzzle pieces that all on one side of the puzzle has a, a considerable straight line, and you say, oh, okay, now I think this goes to the outside. And so then what you do is you start, put, let's just look through all the whole 5,000 pieces and find the ones that go on the outside. And now we got them sorted out, and now we're going to have to try to start putting some things together. And you'll see that they do match. And, but the second thing that you do after you look for the shape of the puzzle, of course, you're going to look for the color. And so you looked into now there's blue. So there's a bunch of these blues that all look similar. I have no idea what the picture is at all yet, but I, clearly there is some blue in the puzzle. Well, let's put the blue ones with the straight line on this side and then begin to work your way through it, systematically, thoughtfully thinking of what it was. And you also have to have somewhat of a memory because what you do is, at least if you're like me, you find this piece here and you're like, you're thinking, oh, that one looks like that one that I had 5,000 pieces ago. And then you look for it for an hour and you find out you dropped it on the floor and so you're never going to find it anyway. But anyway you know. All we're doing this morning... We're going to look at a few puzzle pieces. Just become a little familiar with puzzle pieces. You cannot give up. This is one of those things where half the this, you know, you put it, you put it half together, and then you stick it in the cupboard, and, and then 20 years from now, it's still, 
it's uh, just dusty. But don't give up, we'll make our way through. But here are what we're finding in Mark chapter 13. Jesus is giving what we call the Olivet Discourse. This is a discourse or a lecture on the end times. His disciples came to him after he gave a few puzzle pieces out. They came to him privately, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the clique of the church that was back then, which all churches do have, so ours is perfect still. But, so what he does is he gives this discourse on the end, and he's going to show them a few clues. Mark 13, verse 5. Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And look what he says then. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Now we know there's always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. But what he is talking about is a more significant amount of wars. There will be a tremendous amount of uprising. And what he says here is, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. So first thing that you want to notice, Jesus is giving a speech about something of war that is multinational. Now war itself is a point of evil. Things that happen in war are just incredible. I just heard a testimony of a World War II vet who stood beside someone who the bullet came flying through, ripped his helmet off in a quarter of his skull, and he laid at the other soldier's feet, crying, yelling, help me, help me, help me, until finally he died. And you would think to yourself, I can't see how one human being can do that to another human being. Yet alone on purpose. So now what we're doing is, is we're taking that puzzle piece and we're just looking at one of the curves and we recognize that that is clearly satanic. Other pieces that we already have in our box, we know that the devil's job is to deceive the nations. Now everybody says the devil's after me or the devil made me do it. The devil's not after you. You're too small. We're too small. The devil's job, the arch enemy of us, is not after us in particular, but the Bible tells us what his occupation is. He is the deceiver of nations, which means that he particularly, and he can only be in one place at one time, he is not God. But what his job is, and what the hierarchy of the fallen angels are, is to deceive the nations. So you have to understand that the devil himself is clearly involved in international politics. He's after the heads of state. He's after sars, kings, presidents. Tempting them, whispering to them, getting them to do war. So we see this in our own. That's how you explain what's happening in Washington. It's absolute chaos what's happening in our country. Things that are said and things that are done within our own country, within our own countrymen, within our own statesmen, that is absolutely preposterous. You have one side of the aisle that believes that it's okay to give birth to a child and to kill it while it's still alive, or in late 
term abortions, to kill, to murder babies, and then to stand up and say, this is absolutely fine and should be legal. That is clearly satanical, diabolical. And then to stand up and, and to proudly say that we are for sodomites and for sodomy is absolutely preposterous. Any red-blooded man that's an American or anybody around the world, any red-blooded man would say the sodomy is absolutely crazy. I mean, you, you, you got to have something wrong with you. So that under, we understand something is wrong. And he tells us, well, the devil is doing this. But why? Why is he doing this? What does he get out of it? What's the point? He's destined for hell fire. What's the point? Again, the puzzle piece. We're going to have to put these together. And so what we know is that the devil is called the usurper. He is the counterfeiter. And what he is trying to do is he lost. He was created the most beautiful, the highest, the most powerful, the best angel there ever was. He was the top musician of all the choir of heaven. He was the most attractive, the most slick, the most subtle. And you can see that pride got to him. And he tried to take over. God's title is the Most High. He is the Sovereign Lord. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So what we have then is the devil is trying to usurp this. And so what we have then is the ancient coup d'etat. We have an overtaking. We have the usurper, he's trying to take the place of God. Lucifer wants to be known as the Most High. And how does he do this? He takes over the creation, he takes the heads of state, and then he moves them all along as pawns, causing chaos, but at his control. That's why Satan is called the prince and the power of the air. So we have a pretty good puzzle piece here that Jesus just gave us at the end. There'll be wars and rumors of wars that will be an astronomical amount. So he continues on teaching of the things of the end. And then we come down to verse 14. And then he's teaching in the Olivet Discourse, the end times. He's teaching the disciples how, yes, it was taken over by a coup attempt by the devil, and he rules the nations now. But at the end, we're going to take this back. That's the whole picture of the revelations. Everything in the book of Revelations is basically God and our side, the side of the holiness, the good side, is taking back the Canaan land, taking back the promised land. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is the title holder. He is the heavyweight, undisputed champion of the world. And we will take it back. And so what Jesus is teaching is details on how we take it back. But as you go down further to verse 14, you'll recognize Daniel has explicit details on how this happens. Look at in verse 14. Jesus says, Well, but when you shall see the abomination of desolation, which is a puzzle that most of you are not familiar with at all, but don't get discouraged. It doesn't matter. Just, just keep it together. But when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So what he is doing is, is he's telling us, this is where we should be looking. This is where we should be studying at. Daniel the prophet himself has something to say, and it's not easy to understand. That's why Jesus says in a parenthesis, let him that readeth understand. 
So there's going to be details that we're going to find as we teach through the book of Daniel that are concerning these things. Jesus says so. So we found a few puzzle pieces. We're laying them out. As we go, if you look over to Luke's uh, record in 21 of the Olivet Discourse, he gives a few more details. Turn over there. Verse 22 of Luke 21, he says, For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. You see, because it looks like it's out of chaos, doesn't it? Everything seems to be going as it has been through the history. And so you find in Peter, they say, what? Things have been the same as they've always been. What do you mean Jesus is coming back? The king is going to come and set things straight. It's been thousands and thousands of years, and I don't see anything happening. And so you can see the pessimist thinking. Take heart. God is just slow. Very slow. So he says, 22, These be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. All things, every detail that has been written must be fulfilled, and it is in his sovereign control. Verse 23, But woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be a great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Again, he's referring to the facts of the book of Revelation. But then in 24, he says something very interesting. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So he introduces us to what we know, what he says here as the times of the Gentiles. There's a specific segment of time that is dealing strictly with the non-Jews. And he says that Jerusalem will be wasted, will be trodden down by Gentiles until, it says, the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So he's talking of specific timelines here. He has this all planned out perfectly by the day, actually by the minute to the second. And so when we look at this, Puzzle piece, we notice that he's talking of captivity. There's going to be a captivity. Daniel entails full history, full history of what he calls here the times of the Gentiles. So those of you who are not familiar have never heard of the times of the Gentiles. Daniel will fully describe all the details that go along with it. Paul the Apostle was known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. That's us, the church. Daniel in the Old Testament is similar to Paul in the New Testament. Paul in the New Testament is the apostle to the Gentile church. Daniel is the apostle who tells of all the things that will happen to Gentiles throughout all history. And then finally how it's all coming into place. So Daniel talks of this time of the Gentiles so that you know what this is. This is a time when there's Gentile dominion. There's no king in Israel. The time that God has set up is that Israel will rule the world. Jerusalem is the capital city of the world. There's a huge argument over putting our embassy in Jerusalem. Why? Who cares? We have an enemy who cares, who's trying to run the nations. So that's a big deal that our country has put the embassy where it belongs in the capital city Jerusalem. At least for us believers it is. 
So the times of the Gentiles that he's talking about here is there's no king reigning in Israel. So he goes on and he explains a few more things of the catastrophes that are going to take place towards the end. Uh, men's hearts will fail. It'll be a very frightening time. And I don't want to go through all that. But I do want to bring one thing to your attention in verse 29. Because Jesus, after he tells some of the horror things that will take place, he says in verse 29, And then he spake to them a parable. And he tells them a parable, a riddle. He says, Behold the fig tree. Okay. You can see the believers there, can't you? Be around Jesus. Jesus starts to tell a story, and they're all engulfed because he was the wonderful storyteller. And he tells them, Okay, here, behold the fig tree. Look at the particular one tree. But then he says, and all the trees. What he just did is he just gave them a puzzle piece. Are you familiar with that puzzle piece? Brothers, this is why when you read the Word of God and you don't think that you're understanding what you're reading, don't be discouraged because the Spirit will bring that to your memory. He's talking of a very obscure passage, but this is not a new parable. This is not new material. He's bringing something up from the Old Testament. He is the preacher of the Old Testament. So what he's doing is he's, he's saying something. I bet you none of the listeners know what, what he's talking about. Because all the disciples are unlearned. He used unlearned people, uneducated. He didn't, he didn't have a bunch of rabbis. He didn't have theologians. He didn't have uh, men of, of the cloth. Jesus had bikers and fishermen and shepherds and, and ragtag. He had guys, they, they don't know. It doesn't stop him. And it shouldn't stop us. So we must learn. What is he saying here? He's giving us a puzzle piece. And he says, alright, I'm going to give you a parable. I want you to behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So what he is saying there is he's giving them something, and then what they're going to say is they're going to say, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. What does he mean this fig tree? What does he mean look at all the trees? What does he mean? What does he mean? So what, what, you're, what the good student is supposed to do is you're going to go back to your home, and you're going to crack open your Bible and try to figure this out. And to him, seek and he shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. But if you're lazy and you don't want to know, then you'll never know. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You want to be rewarded by God Himself? Diligently seek Him. And so, for our benefit, and for because we've had good preachers that have taught us through the years, I'm only sharing to you with you things that have been shared with me. If we go back to Ezekiel 17, we'll actually find what Jesus is talking about. We've already actually, a few years ago, taught through this passage of Scripture. So I know that there are some of you here that are already saying, ah, I know where you're going with this. You already are familiar with the puzzle piece. Ezekiel 17. Prophecy. The end. This is what movies are made of. Stephen King in his wildest imagination can come up with half these things. So Ezekiel the prophet is going to tell a parable. Ezekiel 17, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel. 
and say, Thus saith the Lord God, A great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had diverse colors, came unto Lebanon. So again, this is a story. Now you've got to put yourself in the Old Testament. There's no TVs, there's no technicolor. So everything has to be done by storytelling. It's all oral. And so when the speaker is speaking, you've got to let your imagination go. It has to be a movie in your mind, what Jesus is saying. And so he's telling the story. There's a great eagle, he's saying. So you've got to picture this massive eagle. And he says that it's, it's a great, and it has great, huge wings. The wingspan is enormous, and it's full of feathers. It's very detailed, which had diverse colors. So this thing is very colorful. It's this huge bird that comes and it flies and it says unto Lebanon. Now we know Lebanon is known for its trees. The cedar tree. They were imported. They sent ships. Solomon sent things from Lebanon so that we can have the finest wood in the sawmills. The trees were huge, straight, strong. Some of them were used for masts on the great ocean liners that were sail ships. The mast itself was one solid, straight tree. So we know that they're sending this bird. He's coming to Lebanon. And look what it does. It took of the highest branch of the cedar. So you can picture the scene in your mind. You have to have some orchestra music playing to make it dramatic, but it is coming. It's like the music from uh, Lord of the Rings or something. You know, you got to have something really good. You know, came this big, huge eagle comes and it rips off the highest branch of this tree. He cropped off the top of his young twigs of this tree. Now remember, this is a parable or a riddle, so you've got to be thinking, what is he really talking about? Comes, takes the top of the branch, then he says in verse 4, he cropped off just the top of his young twigs, the very small little pieces of the evergreen Christmas tree, if you will. If you, he, he picks it and he carries it into a land of traffic, and he set it in a city of merchants. City of traffic we know is Babylon. Shinar. Well, how do you know that? Well, we'll have to read on because the Bible explains itself. We're not just making this up. A good Bible student lets the Bible interpret itself. That way we know we're on the right track. But notice it says in verse 5 He took also of the seed of the land, the children. And planted it in a fruitful field, and he placed it by great waters and set it as it were a willow tree, another tree. Took of the young children. Does that remind you of Daniel? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Another young child named Belshazzar, who we know as Daniel. We just took our first puzzle. And it fit perfectly with the second puzzle. And in case you're not sure, are we, are we sure this is what he's talking about? Are we sure that this puzzle piece goes here? In verse 12, look what he says. The Lord says, Say now to this rebellious house, Know ye not what these things mean? And there's a little bit of sarcasm here, because the, God's people ought to know certain things. There's no room for laziness in the Word of God. If you don't understand these things by now and you've been at this for years, you ought to know. 
Don't be lazy. Pick up the book and study it. You don't have to have baseball on and all kind of idolatry all the time. Know you not what these things mean? Tell them, Behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem. The great eagle is the king of Babylon. Tells you straight out, the king of Babylon has come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the great cedar tree. It's the great Lebanon tree. Jerusalem, and hath taken the king thereof and the princes thereof. The princes are the small twigs. So what does the tree represent? The nation of Israel. What do the twigs represent? The top brass, the princes, and the seed of the world. What's so important about the seed? Did us ask Hitler? Give me the youth, and I'll take over the world. Do you see why it's so important that a youth program is a stout youth program and that it's a faithful youth program? How many times do you go into churches that used to be doing very well and they got seven or eight old people sitting in the back with not a single child. The nursery hasn't been used in years. So they didn't plan for that. Give me the youth, and I'll take over the world. Nebuchadnezzar knows this, and he takes the young, props off the top brass, and takes care of these things. So verse 13, And hath taken of the king's seed, and made a covenant with them, and hath taken an oath. All right, now. So now we're prepared. we got a few puzzle pieces together, and now we can go back to the book of Daniel. So we close, actually, in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. We read it already, but we'll read it again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Why is that important? because it's all happening exactly on God's timetable. He's specific. In the third year, when God said go, the devil thinks that he's in control, but he's not. He's only a pawn. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. What does that mean? Nobody's getting out, and nobody's coming in. So now we're just going to sit and wait and allow you, all within the walls of the great city, to starve to death. It'll be the slowest, anguishing death that anybody will ever have seen. It's only a little bit of pages if we turn here in the Scripture that cannibalism begins. The mothers leave the children to die outside of their homes with the doors shut because they are so deranged by the crying of a starving child whose tongue is swollen from dehydration so much so that it's cleaving to the roof of his mouth and he's choking and suffocating to death. And then it'll get worse to the point where they go outside, pick it up, kill it, boil it, and eat it. What just happened here? The tree 
has been cut down. This is exactly what Daniel is saying. And to make matters worse, in case you think we're on the losing side, God never loses. Because actually look who is behind it. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The tree has been cut down, so Jesus says, Look at the fig tree. Look at all the trees. Assyria. Iran. Iraq. Look at the trees and know these things are coming to pass before our eyes. When it doesn't seem to make sense, human thinking, it's because God is behind it, keeping it all afloat. So look at the trees. Look at the kings. Look at the presidents and see what they're doing. Because the times of the Gentiles has just now begun. There's no king in Israel. But one is coming. He's the one made without hands. He's the stone, the cornerstone, the capstone that will come crushing down and destroy all the revolting kingdoms. It is the absolute coup d'etat. Because we will win with power and triumph over all the world and take back the promised land. Because it doesn't belong to him. It belongs to us. So strap on. Gird up your loins, the Bible says. Strap on your sword to your side and work because we will be triumphant. Even if it doesn't look like it, we do win every time. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with pastor-teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.